Thank you, Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad God is a restorer? Hallelujah. He don't restore you back to the way it was. He restores it back to his plan. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are so honored to have Pastor Lisa Womble here with us. Pastor of the Great Sea Church, Savannah, Georgia, and a trustee of ICFM. She's a trustee in the best region that there is in ICFM. Glory to God. <laughs> I am. Praise God. Hallelujah. If you don't have confidence to toot your own, you know, praise the Lord. But there's going to be things deposited in you in these meetings, impartations and revelation that is going to bring your life into a higher level. It's going to bring your ministry into greater realms. Are you ready to step in? Are you ready to step up? Are you ready to move forward? Then stand with me and welcome Pastor Lisa Womble as she comes. It's so good to be here. We do have the best region ever, just in case y'all didn't know. The best people, the best ministries, the best everything in the southeast region. That's right. We don't have to win any games to prove it at the competition. We're still the best. Y'all sit down. I'm so excited to be here. I, how many of y'all love to shout, love to sing, love to just celebrate? Well, good. You're going to say that till the end. Normally, somebody said, you're just an encourager. Well, I, usually I am an encourager. I'm one that just, well, I'm ready to pump you up, get you all excited. But I believe with all of my heart, we are in a season that the church has not seen. We are dealing with a world culture that we have not had to deal with before. I know that in the past, different people, different eras have had to deal with things. But I believe we're in a different time zone, a different era, because the enemy knows his time is short. Right? So he's vamping up. The, you know, the, what you've got to remember is that the world has been in this for a very long time. They've been very strategic. I'm going to share some statistics with you that may shock you. But the enemy's been at work for a very long time, and the church has not. We've been coasting on what we've known. We've been coasting on getting ourselves blessed. We've been coasting. Now listen, I'm a word of faith girl through and through. You will never convince me it's not right. I don't care what you bring. It's the only way to read the word of God. God loves his people. He wants them prosperous. But the enemy hates you. Somebody made a comment at a church one time. He said, the, the devil doesn't hate you. I'm like, are you kidding me? The enemy cannot get to God, who's his real enemy, right? So he has to hurt the only thing that God loves, which is you. So he's after you. And so I believe the church has been quiet. The church has been silent. The church has been convinced that we don't need to discuss certain things from the pulpit. So I'm hoping and praying today that by the time I get through that you are very well aware of what the, what the Lord wants you to say and do. Okay? So if everybody remembers going to school and they're in the very opening of A Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens describes the condition of France during the French Revolution. He says it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom and it was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief and it was the epic of incred incredulity. I had to look that word up to make sure I said it right. 
It was the season of light and it was the season of darkness. And I believe with all my heart we could say that about America right now. This is exactly where we are. But because the revolution or the war is not bloody, sometimes we forget that we're in a war. But we are in a war for our country. We are in a war for our children because the enemy is after them. When you've got foolish adults that are affirming these children and the things that they're teaching them and the things that they're doing with them, we've got to rise up as the body of Christ. Not just pastors, not just evangelists, but the whole body of Christ has got to rise up. We've got to know what this word says. Backwards and forward. I mean, I've been stressing to the church so much. Get in the word, get in the word, get in the word, get in the word. This ought to be everyday part of your life. Amen. Amen? Because you've got to have an answer for these people. And so we, we, we've got to be able, we've got to stand up. It is horrible when the devil is doing everything he can to divide us. Every day you turn on the TV, they're trying to do something to divide us. They're bringing back segregation of all things. Come on, people. We should have been so way past this mess. Amen? And the enemy's trying to bring it up. He's having you judge people based on the color of their skin or telling boys and girls that they've been born in the wrong gender or even worse, allowing them to give hormones so these kids don't go into puberty. And then even worse than that, let's go ahead and do surgery on them and alter their bodies forever. And we've got to be able to say, no, Amen. you're not doing this. I got invited to a, a meeting and I, you know, my kids go to, my grandchildren go to private school and I know public schools are getting worse, but you, sometimes you're, you're naive about how bad it can really get. And so she handed us copies of some papers that had the names of the book and some pictures and paragraphs in these books that are in our middle schools and our high schools that are nothing but pure pornography and uh, um, okay in pedophilia, okay in all this kind of stuff, and they're feeding it to our kids. And Christians are not at the school board meetings to complain about this and fight it. And that's the problem when you remain silent. It's just y'all remember the whole thing is if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Well, that's what the enemy's done because we've remained silent. We're not fighting. So I'm encouraging people, you need to be showing up at the school board meetings. You need to be showing up at the council meetings. You need to be showing up all these things and fighting for what is right. And then to push this ripping of babies from the mother's womb. I, I, I found out, now, you know, I was one of these people that a couple of years ago, you know, you know abortion's there, but I really didn't know how bad it was. And so, <clears throat> again, I get invited to a meeting that I didn't want to go to. I show up at the meeting, and in my own city is a surgical abortion clinic where every Thursday and Friday they are ripping babies out of the mother's womb, 30 to 40 a day. So I had to repent, and then I had to repent to my church that this is going on in our city and we're doing nothing about it. And so it took a year and a half, but this seed church showed up in front of that abortion clinic, prayed every time those doors were open. And let me tell you, this is what's so amazing. The churches that don't believe like we do, because, you know, we're down there praying in tongues, we're down there binding the enemy. We're confessing over that place that every foul spirit that walks in that place and works in that place is torn down. Amen. That, those doors are closed. We're saying all of that, that the other places had a fight with us and they wanted us off the street. And I finally looked at the guy and said, aren't we on the same team? Aren't we supposed to be fighting for the same thing? Well, I'm here to happy to report to you those doors are closed. Hallelujah. 
And then when Roe v. Wade gets overturned and churches don't celebrate it, pastors don't even mention it from the pulpit. I'm like, come on, we ought to be, this is a big celebration. Yes, I know things are still happening. Yes, I know things are bad, but we better celebrate every victory that we have. Amen? So we can have more. And so we've got all this mess going on, and yet it's the best of times too. Because the Spirit of God has already promised us He's going to pour out His Spirit greater than ever before. We've got signs and wonders in our church. Come on, we've got the gifts of the Spirit flowing. We've got people coming in. And we have got to be prepared for these people coming into our church. We've got to be prepared to have them. The church is 10 years behind on how to help these people. And so we've got to get trained. We've got to get people trained. What do I say? How do I help them? Do I, how do I team up with them? Because I believe with all my heart you're going to have transgender people coming in. You're going to have people who've had sex change. I actually found a scripture. i got to find it and give it to you. God said that he will restore the joy to the eunuchs. And I said, God, if you could do it back then, you could restore their joy, have whoever's been messed up. Amen. But we've got to be there with the answer and the training and the hooking up with them to get them free and get them delivered because they're going to come. Amen. Amen. And so we've got to understand that there's only two sides. You are either on God's side or you're on Satan's side. And if you're not fully in, if you're not fully on God's side, by default, you're on the enemy's side. There is no more of this manby-pamby Christianity where I just come to church on Sunday morning and I do nothing till next Sunday morning. Oh, but I came to Sunday school. I came to the teaching at 9.30 and I came to the church at 10.30. No, no, no. Then you've got to have a lot more than that. You've got to be equipped more than that. The pastor cannot give you everything that you need on Sunday morning. You better dig in that word, find out what he says. And the thing about us pastors and our leaders and, and ministry people that are in here, you can't coast on yesterday's knowledge. You better be in that word every day. You better be praying every day. Holy Ghost, show me what I need today. Show me what I need to say today. Show me what the people need to know how to fight, what they need to know how to fight this agenda, how to protect their children, how to protect their families, how to turn off the mess. Because it matters what you're hearing every day. It matters what's going on. And so I'm not talking about a difference in opinion here. I'm talking about good versus evil. Because they are literally against God and against His Word. It is an antichrist spirit that is behind this agenda. We've got to recognize it for what it is, and we've got to fight it with everything that we have. Matthew chapter 20, I mean chapter 12, verse 30 says, Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. I love it in the message. This is war, and there is no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're on the enemy's. And if you're not helping, you're making things worse. In other words, if you're sitting and you're quiet, you're making things worse. If you're too afraid to mention it from the pulpit, you're making things worse. And the Amplified, he said, He who is not with me, not definitely on my side, is against me. And he who does not definitely gather with me and for my side scatters. So there's no gray area. We must choose which side we're going to be on. And the, here's, the, here's the thing that a lot of Christians don't realize. The moment you side with evil, the moment you are, um, condone it, okay it, minimize it, the moment you do that, you lose your power to pray. 
There is no way you can take God, uh, Satan's side and think there's going to be any power in your prayers because it matters to God. And he said, you're not on that. Listen, we've got, it's a fight between the kingdom culture and the world's culture. And we've got to understand that. Culture is a way of life, <clears throat> beliefs, symbols, and sounds associated with a group. It involves how you think. It involves your behavior, what is believed, how we act. It is no longer okay to sit and do nothing. You think about that. When you go out there and you know these people that are on Satan's side, there is a culture within them, right? They're loud. They're obnoxious. They're angry. Well, should our side be, look like theirs? No. no. We've got to look completely opposite. I'm in God's culture. I'm in God's kingdom. That means I'm going to act different, behave different, respond different. Amen? Because even though it makes me mad what the enemy's doing, I've got to understand that's a person that God died for. That's a person that needs deliverance. That's a person that needs to see the truth. So I've got to have love and compassion without compromising. Now, see, that's the key, is compassion without compromise. I can never okay what you did. One of my favorite scenes is when Larry King is talking to um, Billy Graham. And they're having this conversation, and Billy Graham's telling him that you have to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and it's his blood redemption that gets you to heaven. And so Larry King said, but I'm Jewish. Are you telling me I'm going to hell? And he said, the Bible says that it is the blood redemption of Jesus Christ, and you must believe on him as your Lord and Savior. And he goes, but I, I don't believe in Jesus, so you're telling me I'm going to hell? The Bible says, and see, that's the, that's the way we've got to respond to them, is the Word says, the Bible says. We can't respond with my opinion. I can't respond with that. I've got to say, well, the Word of God says, and we've got to tell him too. The Word of God says this not because he's mean, not because he's angry, not because he wants to deprive you of life. He's telling you this for your protection. He's telling you this for your good. Amen? So we've got to have this love for them that they've not seen before. This one pastor, his name is Miles Rutherford, and he said it this way. I thought it was phenomenal. He said, Satan has changed the name of sin to make sin an adaptable and to accept. So instead of changing our ways, we're going to change the wording. So instead of pedophilia, we're going to call it minor attracted people. Instead of sexual exploitation, we're going to call it adult entertainment. Instead of calling it sex cults, where we bump and grind, we're going to call it music clubs. Instead of adultery, we'll call it swinging and open marriage. Instead of fornication, we're going to call it intimacy. Instead of baby killing, we're going to call it reproductive health or abortion. Okay, well, think about it. Repro reproductive health means I'm reproducing something, right? Instead of mental illness, we're going to call it gender dysphoria. Instead of gender, mu gender mutilation, we're going to call it gender transitioning. Instead of lust, we're going to call it love. And instead of spiritual battle between good and evil, let's call it political. Let's call it a phobia. Let's call it hate speech. We're going to call it anything else but what it is. And it's no longer sin. It's a complex. It's an addiction. It's a disorder. It's an obsession. So we no longer feel bad about our sin. We just simply change the name of it. And then when truth is heard from the pulpit or the truth is preached, we feel conviction so we condemn the preacher as hate speech. And that's exactly what the enemy's done to the world. And you, you've got to get to the point where I don't care who I'm being judged by as long as he 
come on, is happy with what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Amen? Because you're going to get labeled, you're going to get talked about, but we've got to have some thick skin in these last days. And you've got to think about it. God chose you. He chose you to be born in this last day, which means he's got faith and confidence that you can do it. Amen? Amen? So look at your neighbor and say, I got faith and confidence you can do it. Now, we all know how God set the children of Israel aside. He separated them. He called them to himself. He, he did all that because, first of all, he needed a lineage, a pure lineage for Jesus to be born. But he also did it because he wanted the world to see what it does when you serve the one true God, right? When you serve the living God, he wanted them to see that because they live differently and because they serve the God that is alive, all these blessings are going to come upon them. Their lives are going to be different than everybody else's. But we know that the children of Israel messed up, right? And so they had this vicious cycle where everything was going great. God delivered them. Things were wonderful. And then they became lackadaisical with what God was doing. And then they started taking, oh, it's just the same old thing all the time. And they went from that till they began to sin. And then, then they'd get in trouble. They'd get brought into slavery or captivity. And then they'd cry out to God for him to deliver them. God would deliver them in his mercy once again. And then everything would be great. And then they'd get bored and tired with everything. And they'd go back into sin. And it's this vicious cycle over, over and over again. So here... We know that here's God. He's got him captive. He's, Moses is up on the mountain. He's freed him once again. In Ezekiel chapter 32, verse 17, he, Moses is up there. And all of a sudden, Joshua hears a noise. He heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them. And he said to Moses, it sounds like war in the camp. But Moses said, no, it's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. And when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. Verse 25 says that they were naked and unrestrained. The culture of the enemy has a sound. And you can hear it loud and clear. Every show, every movie, every commercial. I mean, come on, we got commercials now that have gay scenes on them. Everything is promoted in your face. They had a parade downtown. What did they shout? We are here, we are queer, and we're after your children. They're getting louder, and the church is getting more silent. And we're getting quieter out of fear. And we cannot let the enemy win. Amen? So when Moses left to go up the mountain, they were on his team. But when he came back down, they were on the enemy's team. There's only two teams. Heaven or hell, God or Satan. And it's funny because Moses said who is on the Lord's side when he saw them. The sound of singing and shouting, the sound of fans worshiping their idols. Satan knows that sound is spiritual. Why does he think, hate it when you shout? Why does he hate it? Come on, when you're praising God because that has a sound to it. Amen? And so here he is in the middle of that. Y'all, listen, when you go to a football game, how many of you love college football? Oh, gosh, I've got to have some more hands than that. When you go to a football game, okay, when you go to a Braves game for Dennis and them over there, y'all like baseball? Come on, you got to have something. Do you ever hear them telling y'all to get quiet? No. no, what do they say? Get louder. Y'all, it's time for the church to get louder. We've got to be bold. We've got to have a sound when we go out there, and our sound ought to be a lot louder than their sound is. Amen? 
And so we got to be quiet. We, and you know what? They know what team you're on by, what you're wearing, how you're acting, what you're doing. I tease all the time. My husband, we live in the state of Georgia, but you will not see him with a Georgia Bulldog shirt on, ever. He don't even allow red in the house. Our son was five years old, and the Georgia-Carolina game was on, and Georgia scored, and he, he rooted for it. And I said, boy, you can't, you can't root for, for Georgia in this house. He said, but, Mom, I was born in Georgia. I said, I don't care. In this house, you can't root for Georgia. Y'all got to be that way when it comes to the things of God. You can't allow anything, come on, that is anti-God, anti-Christ, any of this mess inside your house. You've got to be bold. So we got to know that, that all of this stuff is happening, and Satan has convinced too many of us that if I talk about it from the pulpit, I'm being political. They've made it political. It is a moral issue and a God issue, not a political issue. And we've got, to, we've got to set the record straight with people. When they come to you and say, oh, you can't talk about politics from the pulpit. Well, who said? Whoever said that? God never said that. How many times did Jesus address the people? And he said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Give unto God what is God. What did he say to them when they were in their boat? Oh, you guys are whining about bread, but y'all better be worried about the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. So he talked about the world and he talked about religion. He said both of them. And so what, who else should they hear it from but the pulpit? Because you and I both know most of them are not going to go home and search the word out and find out what God says about the social issues of today. And so we do that as the teachers and the pastors and the evangelists and all of those people. We search it out and we tell them this is what God says about this issue. Because you and I both know the only equality you're ever going to see is found in, in the kingdom. Amen. Amen? Because man doesn't have the ability to do it without God. God is the only way that's going to do it. And so we've got, we've got to talk about it. We've got to tell them this is how the kingdom people live. This is how ungodly people live. And you've got to tell them the difference. I mean, when you've got people that sit in your church and you have to spell. I, I was teaching one day and I said, listen, let me spell out sexual immorality to you in case you don't know what it is. If you are sleeping in the bed with somebody, if you're having sex with somebody that you are not married to, it is sexual immorality. It is sin. If you're married and you're having sex with somebody that you're not married to, it is called sin. It is sexual immorality. If you're having sex with somebody that is the same sex as you are, it is called sexual immorality. Sometimes you've got to get that specific with people so they can't say I don't know what it is amen and so we have to tell them and it's amazing how many people look at you and go I didn't know that but here here's the problem there's a difference between my opinion and the difference between what God says so my opinion is never given from the pulpit God's word is given from the pulpit in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, he says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that never should never be done. Their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. Who would have ever thought we would be dealing with some of the things we're dealing with right now? It's, it's a shame that I got to change the pronouns. I told him, I said, now that you've got some hospitals that won't even assign a gender at birth, 
listen to me. Man has never assigned your gender. God assigned that gender the moment that egg and that sperm united. And so we've got to get away from this foolishness of letting people get away with this. But see, here's the thing. The enemy knows that if I change the narrative and I say it long enough, I can persuade you that it's true. So back in the 1980s when AIDS first hit America, I was fresh out of nursing school working in the hospital and I worked on a cancer unit so I got a lot of the AIDS patients up there because they had no idea what it was. They didn't know what to do. Fear was incredible in the hospital because they didn't know how it was being transmitted. They didn't know all the details about it. And so here I am taking care of all these young AIDS patients that are coming in. Their families didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to deal with it. And they knew that at that point that they were going to lose America and America, the, the people in America would never accept homosexuality. And so a group of men got together in 1989 in Warrington, Virginia to map out their plan to get homosexuality accepted by the general public. And they actually wrote a book called After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear of Hate and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. And this is what they result, this is what their plan was. He said, a person's beliefs can be altered whether he is conscious of the attack or not. Have we not seen that play out? So here's, here's what they said. Talk about gays and gayness as loud, loudly and as often as possible. Portray gays as victims, not as aggressive challengers. Give protesters a just cause. Y'all know all the 20s and 30s today, they want a cause. They want a cause to fight. So create one in the church for them to fight. Fight for God. Create a cause for them. Amen? Make gays look good. Make the victimizers look bad. Solicit funds because the buck stops here. Get on the air. Talk about it in the media. Have a gay person in every show and every movie and start with the fine print. And they followed it and the plan worked. They have succeeded in making them a victim and the church the victimizer. They have many people believing that denying same-sex marriage involves denying rights to a victimized group of people. And if it wasn't, it wasn't rights they wanted, it was the validation and the normalization of their behavior. And so we have remained silent on the issue and not fought against this. Y'all, we should have never let same-sex marriage be passed. Never. Because who defined marriage? God did between a man and a woman. So how far are we going to let it go? But it didn't stop there. In a book called Correct, Not Politically Correct, Frank Turk says this, Before 2012, there, were, there was no scientific literature showing that gender dysphoria even affected teenage girls. However, over the past decade, there's been a dramatic increase in girls claiming they are really boys. In the United Kingdom, it's been a 4,400% increase in girls um, seeking treatment at gender... I got it on here. Right, 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 it's coming. At gender clinics, Dr. Lisa Lippman, a former researcher at Brown University, has called it now rapid onset gender dysphoria, a phenomenon in which children having displayed no signs of gender dysphoria at all suddenly felt it acutely upon puberty. And her suggestion, listen, the cause of this, she says, is social media. She said, listen, I searched the statistics in America it's increased by 289% since 2015 between girls between the ages of 13 and 70 because there's no biological reason for it. There's no scientific reason for it. But a young girl has a phone in her hand. She is trying to find out who she is. 
She's trying to belong somewhere, being accepted by somebody, and all she has to say is, I think I'm a boy, I may be bisexual, I may be pansexual, I may be something, and immediately she's got validation upon her phone. Immediately. So tell everybody, the worst thing you can do for a teenager is give them a phone. My, my grandchildren know that I spoil them absolutely rotten. Anything they want, they just tell Gigi and Papa, and they get it. But my, my eight-year-old grandson came to me, and he said, Gigi, for my birthday, I want a phone. I said, honey, I love you too much to ever let you have that in your hand because it'll destroy them. They don't know how to handle it. But when you think about that, what, how powerful is that, that at that moment they can do that? We've got to know that. The Journal of the American Medical Association says there's 48,019 Americans who've undergone gender-affirming surgery from 2016 to 2020. Four years, 48,000 people. 3,678 of them were between the ages of 12 and 18. 12 and 18. We've got to figure out what's happening in our state and stop it. I found out in North Carolina that um, one of the university hospitals, they start doing gender-affirming um, therapy and, 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 and drugs at the age of two. One of them's the age of three, and one of them's the age of four. Y'all, I told somebody, I said, kids can come up to me. My little granddaughter who just turned three, she wants to be a mermaid. I'm not going to go take her out to the ocean when she says, I think I'm a mermaid today and go drop her in the ocean, right? My, my grandson comes up and thinks he's Superman or Batman and he can jump from one end of the couch all the way to the other end of the couch. I'm not going to take him to a tall building and say, go for it, buddy. You think you're Batman? You can be Batman and let him jump from a building. So why are we allowing children to tell us what sex they are? So we've got to be able to fight that. Who's on the Lord's side? We've got to have a voice and we've got to have a sound. Ask the walls of Jericho if sound is spiritual. They're facing an impossible situation. But because they shouted, come on, when God told them to, the walls fell down. Ask the darkness if, God, if sound is spiritual. Everything's chaotic. Everything is dark. God spoke and something happened and light came. And, the, and chaos turned into order. Ask Gideon if sound is spiritual. Y'all, in Judge chapter 7, we all find it 300 men facing 3,000 men with trumpet in one hand and a candle, a glass candle thing in the other hand. And God didn't tell them to bring a sword. He didn't tell them to bring anything else. What did he say? I want you to bring up a trumpet in one hand and a glass in the other hand. And I want you, the moment I tell you to, to break that glass, let that light shine, come on, and blow that trumpet. And what happened? You defeated the enemy. We've got everything we need right here in this book. We've got a voice to shout. Come on. We know how to pray. We know how to get direction from God. And we've got everything we need to fight this enemy and win it, right? So don't tell me it's time for us to make as much noise as we can. Worship has even changed. Have y'all noticed that worship's changed to focus all on me and not on him? Worship is about him, not me. I can sing songs about how he changed my life when I'm in the car, but when I'm in the house, I need to talk about him because that's what brings the corporate anointing in. Amen? And then we've got people convinced that they don't even have to go to church anymore. Why? Because we got it on the Internet. Just watch it on the Internet. Your church ought to be so filled with the power of God, come on, that they can't get what they can get sitting at home. they got to be in the presence. 
And we can't sell this bill of goods to them that you can sit at home because after all, the church is me. No, it's not. Read your Bible. What's the word church mean? Ecclesia. What does ecclesia mean? The assembling together of believers. So even though I do have the Spirit of God living on the inside of me, I am not the church without you. We're the church when we're gathered together. Amen? So you, you can't just get it by sitting at home. But we've got to learn to do that. It's our team against their, their team. And we've got to know what side we're on. We've got to know how to act. God's way, God's culture has nothing to do with anything that the world has. Have y'all noticed the devil? What does he want to do? He's got to get you to look at yourself as a victim. So he's divided this whole country up, either based on the color of your skin, based on your gender, based on anything he can. And so now he couldn't, he couldn't quite figure out where to put the white male. So he had to create critical race theory. Because now that makes him the evil one. And now he becomes a victim too. That was the last group to get as a victim. And the enemy said, once I can get everybody to view themselves as a victory, I mean as a victim, then he wins. But see, now you don't belong to the world's culture anymore. So when they try to put you in a box, you know, no, 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 I don't belong in that box. I belong over here in the kingdom of God. And when I'm in the kingdom of God, nothing on this outward man matters. All that matters is my spirit. I've been recreated into a new creation in Christ that never existed before. And in that, come on, comes the power of God, the Holy Ghost power, come on, on the inside of you, and you can do anything. Amen? It doesn't matter what anything else is. And you've got to do that. And as a minister, y'all, if, as a minister of the gospel, I don't love you if I don't tell you the truth. I can't let you drown and not throw you a life preserver. And the life preserver is the truth of the word of God. So we've got to be truthful with them. Amen? And the thing about it is, how can I let you sit in my service Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and I never speak truth to you? Or I'm out on the street and I don't speak truth to you and knowing that one day you're going to pass from this life to the next life and you're going to face Jesus and I never warned you what you're doing is wrong. I can't imagine standing up there and watching these people go by that I never said anything to because I was afraid of what they'd think about me. I was afraid they might label me as a hater. I didn't want to be accused of talking about politics from the pulpit. And I'm watching them one by one go by and Jesus saying, sorry, I never knew you. That would be awful. But we've got to be able to speak the truth in love, amen, to them. And Satan's after the pulpit. His whole thing is for you. Listen, you better be seeking God for the right message at the right time. He is happy if he could get you to do this sweet little sermon that's not going to step on anybody's toes, that's not going to make anybody mad at you, not going to get offended at you. Let's don't talk about sin because we don't want him to get mad. We don't want him to quit the church. But I'm going to tell you what, you better start talking about what God says. Because if he can't get the pulpit, he's going to go sit in the congregation. And what he does is there is he whispers in there, how dare she talk about this stuff of the pulpit? How dare she tell me I'm living in sin? That's what the enemy's going to do, but we can't do it. But I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing preacher after preacher after preacher fall for the mess that's suing out in this world and completely ignoring everything they've been taught about the Word of God. When you've got pastors that are affirming this stuff, They've lost their right to call themselves pastor. 
They've lost their right to put reverend behind their name. And we better stand up and preach the truth. Amen? Sodom and Gomorrah is a place where sin and perversion abounded. We all know that. So bad that God had to destroy it. He sent two angels to warn Lot. Where was Lot when he went sent the angels to warn him? Sitting at the gate. Now, what did God say to us? What did Jesus say to Peter? Upon the revelation of who Jesus is, right, he's going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, right? Well, let me tell you what the gates of hell are. They're the political parties. Come on. They're the political realm. They're this agenda that they're trying to pass. All of those are the gates of hell that are coming against the church. They're the laws that are being passed. The things that are, are coming against the church. All of those are those things. It's the fear. It's all of these things that they're putting in you. And here's, here's a man of God, supposed to be a man of God, sitting at the gate where all of these decisions are being made and not opening his mouth. God sends two angels to warn him and he remains silent. And the, town, the city is destroyed. We have to speak up. We've got pastors that are sitting and not saying anything and watching our culture rot. Because I don't want to rock the boat. But they've taken our schools. They've taken the curriculum. They've dumbed down our education. They're telling our children they're victims and they'll never get ahead. And they're persuading kids are in the wrong gender. It's just like the sons of Eli. Y'all think about that. Here they are. They wore the clothes of a minister, but they did not perform the duties of a minister. They were in sin. They didn't speak out against it. And Eli kept his mouth shut. You know, we've, we, Mom and I talk about this one time. She's, she's in there, and the Lord told her one day, he said, I've got, sin, I've got odd against you. Mom's like, me? What did I do? He said, there's sin in the camp, and you're not dealing with it. She walked up to that person. She said, I already got in trouble with God, and I might get in trouble for you again. You got sin. Get off the platform. But that's how bold we have to be. Amen. We have to be that bold with this because it's, it's their eternity, number one, that's going to hurt them, and it's, it's going to hurt the, the, what God's doing inside the church. So here it is. He, they're, 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 they're being quiet. Eli's doing nothing that he's supposed to be doing. Their eternity did not matter to him. If you're a pastor, the people sitting in your church, their eternity ought to matter to you. If you're a minister of the gospel and you're preaching to people, their eternity ought to matter to you. Amen? So here he is. He knew, what he, he knew what he was supposed to do to stop the behavior, but he never did anything about it. We've got pastors that are standing there telling me that the Old Testament's not even relevant to today. This whole book is relevant. This is a pro-life book. Amen? This is a pro-marriage book. So we've got to be what God says. Amen? And then we've got, we've got people that the fathers of the faith are correcting them and they don't want to listen. So they quit. They, they run away from, from them as far as they can. The day that you no longer listen to the fathers of the faith, you are in trouble. Amen? You've got to listen to them. So we, we talk about it all the time. You've got to do that. You've got to never be beyond correction. Every one of us have to be able to be corrected. Amen? And you cannot do that. And when you stop listening, you know you're facing destruction. So he knew his sons were wrong. He knew they were doing things. And, and the, here's the thing. He, God warned him several times to say something. So let's go in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5. 
He said, when all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, they, their shout of joy was so loud it made the ground shake. What's going on, the Philistines said. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the Ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is the disaster. We've never had to face anything like this before. Who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? Y'all, this is sad that they knew the power of God more than the people did, than the children of Israel did. And this is the thing. The enemy knows the power of God. He knows what happens if you get a hold of the power of God, if you begin to operate in the Spirit, if you begin to do things in the Spirit. So he's telling you that to shut up. He's telling you to not say anything, right? So then he says that they're the same guys who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight like we've never fought before, Philistines. That's what the enemy's doing right now. Let's fight like we've never been before. Let's fight against the church. Let's get them to remain silent. Let's tell them that they're going to be in fear. If y'all don't realize, there's another pandemic coming. Y'all know what the name of it is? It's called Eris. You know what that means? It's, it's named after the goddess of contention and strife. Because he wants to do everything he can to divide us, right? He wants the masked people to be mad at the unmasked people and vice versa. He wants the vaccinated to be mad at the unvaccinated and vice versa. He wants everybody blaming everybody for everything. He wants the church to shut down and to be quiet. You, I, I love what um, Pastor Hugh Allen said yesterday. You better make up your mind how you're going to respond right now. Amen. Amen? Because I don't know about you, and I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can tell you what Pastor Bob's going to do, but this church, the church ain't going to close. You tried to tell us we were unessential before, and we bought it, and a lot of people closed the doors. It ain't happening again. The church is the most essential place that there is. And if the bars and the strip joints and all those places can stay open, then so can the church. If Home Depot can stay open, so can the church. When Pastor Kempe, um, we, when we got COVID the first time around, and the, the Department of Health called. The first question they asked, have you been to church? Pastor Kippy said, well, I went to Home Depot. No, 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 maybe it was Walmart. No, I think I went to Kroger. And then he starts naming off all these other places. He said, why did you ask me that one question? And she remained silent. See, they got tricks. Y'all got to be, you better be praying in the Holy Ghost more than you've ever prayed in the Holy Ghost before. So you, you have a keen discernment on what's happening. So here they are. The enemy knows the power of God. Unless where was the priest? Verse 13, Eli was waiting beside the road, sitting on a stool to hear the news of the battle. He wasn't fighting the battle. He wasn't in the middle of the battle. He wasn't cheering them on in the battle. For his heart troubled for the safety of the ark of God. It troubled so much he set his fat behind on a stool and did nothing. Verse 18, when the messenger mentioned what had happened to the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died, for he was old and overweight. I didn't call him fat. The Bible did. He was doing nothing. Sitting on a stool. And so many preachers have watched the glory leave the church, and they're sitting down instead of standing up and shouting what is right. Shouting against the agenda of the enemy because they're afraid of people leaving the church. I love what Pastor Kempe said to somebody recently. They made a comment. Now, this is this, what the event that they're talking about happened 15 years ago, okay? And the church that they went to 
Luckily, nobody will see this that goes there. They, they don't even meet. They only have a building to meet in. And so one of their, their church members died, and her mother goes to our church. So we called her on the phone and said, hey, you can use our church. We'll feed the family afterwards. We don't have to be involved in it. Just use our building. Come on over. And so they came over to use our building. We were loving on them. And Pastor Kempe walked up to one of the people that did go to our church back then and said, hey, your pastor's sitting on the back row. Tell him to come, come on. He can come up here and sit on the front. He said, well, you know, um, he's a little awkward because some of the people that went to your church are now going to our church. And Pastor Kempe looked at him and said, some leave, but many come. I said, that was the perfect answer. We can't worry about it, guys. Whoever, listen, I, I saw this and I thought it was the best explanation I ever heard. When, the, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that God had to herd them out. The angel herded them out of the garden, right? That word, when you look it up, means to herd them out so the redemptive process could begin. Because if they stayed, it couldn't. So now what I do is every time somebody leaves the church, even if they leave offended, I view it as God has to get them out so the redemptive process can begin. It's his mercy that is doing it. And when I start viewing it as God's mercy of moving them out, then I don't get my feelings hurt. I don't worry about it. I say, God, you've got them. The mercy's taking them out so the redemptive process can begin in their life. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful way to look at it? So we got to know now, here he is either sitting by the gate, not doing anything. Ministers are playing it safe. Therefore, people are living in their sin, and they're not saying anything. They're not doing the thing. But God has never called us to be rude. He's never called us to be mean. He's never called us to be silent. What has he called us to do? Be bold and courageous. John 5, says, No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how you, will you believe what I say? And when we're not quiet, we're saying we don't believe this word. We're not believe what's happened, what he said in here. And he's saying, how, how are you even going to preach it if you don't even believe what it says? You're so worried about honoring the person sitting there that's in sin instead of honoring God who says what's in his word, right? So what I told my church, I said, if you're offended over what I'm preaching, then you don't believe what this book says. Because it's not my opinion, it's God's. So we got to take ourself out of the equation and stick with the word of God, right? Because if, they, if, 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 if it's God they were offended with, they got to get over it. John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus coming the first time. We're a forerunner of him coming again. And think about it. Think about John the Baptist. Would any of you ever pick John the Baptist to be the one to tell Jesus is coming? None of us would. No board would have ever voted him in as the pastor of the church. None. It's crazy. And everybody thinks, oh, we got to be so sweet. we got to be so nice. No, y'all, read your Bible. Jesus called people names. John the Baptist went straight up to the king and said, you're in sin. You're having incest. It cost him his head, but he still said it, right? We nobody's going to take our head off. As of right now, nobody's going to take our head off. Nobody's going to put us in jail as of right now. And I'm going to cover the whole Romans 13 thing next week, I mean, tomorrow night. So nobody can throw that one up at you. But I'm telling you, we've got to obey God. Amen. We've got to obey God and what he says, right? So no bore would that. And, but when you've got an administration that's given the woman of the year award to somebody in lipstick and a wig, we got a problem. 
We've got a problem. We need to know what, we need to know what to do with that. Amen. So God's waking people up. I believe with all my heart. He's waking the church up. He's waking us up. He's changing our hearts because we need to know what's doing what what's to be done. Now I'm going to tell you one more story and then we'll close. Let's look at the story of Jonah. Y'all can read about it in your Bible, but I'm going to give you a little synopsis of it. And I heard um, Jordan Peterson say it this way, and I love it. It's the best ever, so I'm quoting him from it. He said, Jonah was minding his own business when God came to him and said, you've got to go to the city of Nineveh because everybody in Nineveh has strayed, strayed off the path, and I'm thinking about wiping them off the face of the earth. So you need to go there. You need to tell them to repent, and I will not destroy the city. And Jonah thinks, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to that. God, you don't understand. They're our enemy. They won't like me. I'm not going there. After all, it's my enemy, right? And he really doesn't care if God destroys them. So here he is. God, you're really asking me to do something that that's a really great task. Do you, why, why are you picking on me to do this? When all of these people are in the city, you choose me, a foreigner, to be the one to go into the enemy's camp and tell them that they need to be saved. It sounds really safe to him. So Jonah does what any person would do. He thinks to himself, this is too dangerous. They're not going to like me. They're going to persecute me. So he says nothing. So he hops on a boat, and he goes as far away from there as he can. And it turns out God was not very happy with him making that decision. Because if you're informed that you must say something, then you better say it. So the storms come, the waves come, and now the ship is in danger. So if you don't have to say, if you don't say what you're called upon to say, when you're called to say it, you're going to put the whole ship at risk. Which is exactly what we've done as the church. We've put the whole church at risk. We've put our whole nation at risk. So the sailors have figured out somebody's made God angry. Right? And somebody on this boat's not right with God, and that's why they're in danger. So Jonah, to his credit, goes, it's me. God spoke to me. He gave me a task. I refused to do it, so therefore I'm the one that's causing the storm. So they throw him overboard. And you would think that Jonah had gotten what he deserved, right? So he remained silent. God told him to say something. He didn't do it. Now he's going to die. And it seems like a harsh punishment for simply not speaking the truth when you have it. But the reality is when you have something to say, then you're going to put everybody at risk and you'll be lucky if you don't die. But it's not all that happens. Here's the thing. He put everybody at risk. And then the next thing that happens is Jonah is drowning. It's about as bad as it's going to get. And then this creature comes along from the bottom of the abyss and takes him down. And now he thinks he's in hell for three days. And that's the next part of the story. But it's the same thing that happens. It's a rep representation that dwells in darkness. So if you're called upon to say what you have to say and you refuse to say it, you'll end up in a place where you wish you weren't, which is what we've done right now in our country. It's the same idea as now. We found, found our place where we never thought we would be. The country's corrupted. If you're call, called upon to tell your fellow man, enemy or not, when they are not behaving properly, when God calls you to do it, you do it. And if you don't, the whole ship is going to start to roar. So he's in the well for three days, and he thinks, I'm in hell. I'm going to repent right now. I'm going to be willing to say what I have to say. So the whale vomits him out on the shore. And here's the thing about it is the whale vomits him out on the shore, and then he still has to walk a three-day journey with all the seaweed, the stink, everything all over him. Y'all, when we don't do what God tells us to do, and the world goes into corruption, we've got stink on us. Amen? So he has to walk through the this, this city, 
and Nineveh has to tell everybody that in 40 days they're going to be overthrown. Now, what most people say, Nineveh told the city to repent. No, he didn't. Go read your Bible. Nineveh still did not tell them to repent. He walks in the town and he goes, y'all are going to be destroyed in 40 days and turn around and walk out. <laughs> Luckily, the king knew that meant that if we don't repent, we're going to be destroyed. The king calls a meeting and the king tells them all to repent. But the bad thing is Jonah's still not happy about it. Right? He goes and sits underneath a tree that God provided him shade. And then he gets mad because the tree dies. And God said, wait a minute. You don't want me to show mercy on your enemies. You want me to show mercy on a dumb tree. You don't care about them. You care more about a tree than you do these people that are dying and going to hell. And sometimes we're so worried about our reputation. We're so worried about how many people we have in the church. You know, one thing I love about my husband, he's got some really great wisdom sometimes. Sometimes. And I'll forget, people got so concentrated on the numbers that were in the church that he finally walked up to the ushers. He said, I don't want you to count anymore. Who's here needs to be here. And we're not going to sit here and count how many people's in the church. We don't need to get focused on numbers. Because I'm going to tell you, we view a, a, we view a healthy church in the wrong way. It's not about the numbers. A healthy church is our people changing. Are their lives being transformed? Is the presence of God in the place? That's what a healthy church is. Amen? Amen? And so we got to get our eyes focused off what the world counts as success and what God counts as success. Amen? So here's my thing. We've got to make sure that we... We speak up for truth. We say what God tells us to say. I had somebody get upset with me the first time I mentioned abortion, and I just looked at him very lovingly, and I said, if you don't think I pray about the message that I'm supposed to speak when I speak it, you're sadly mistaken. And if you think I'm going to say anything from this pulpit that God has not ordained for me to say, you are sadly mistaken. And if you think I'm going to apologize to you over anything I've said that God's told me to preach, you are sadly mistaken. That was the end of the conversation. Because what else did he say? And he ended up being one of our biggest supporters because he realized that I'm not going to say anything from that pulpit that God does not give me. Amen? Amen? And we all have to do that. I want you all to think about it. It's almost like that. Y'all remember Raiders of the Last, the last I think it was the Last Crusade? And he's going into the thing, and there's an old knight standing there, and the guy walks in, and they want to drink from this fountain that's going to keep them young forever. And they have the, all these cups out there. And so the guy goes, well, which one is it? He said, well, you must choose, but make sure you choose the right one. And so the guy goes up there and picks up the cup, dips it in the water. He drinks it. All of a sudden, he starts to decay, and he goes, he has chosen poorly. <laughs> what I love about it, he said, if you choose the wrong one, it will lead to death. But if you choose the right one, it will lead to life. And then Indiana Jones gets up there. And he pulls the cup out, a very not ornate cup, one of the ones that looks like it's not going to be the right thing, dips it in the water, and he said, you have chosen wisely. Today I want you to ask yourself, which one am I making? Which choice am I making? Am I choosing wisely? Am I being on God's side? Am I staying on his side? Am I preaching what he told me to preach? Am I doing what he told me to do? Am I speaking out when he tells me to speak out? Has he called you to the school board? Has he called you to attend these meetings? Has he called you to go check out what's in the library at the school? Do you know y'all can go online and check it out and see what libraries are in your schools? There's so many things that we, the body of Christ, need to be involved in. 
And God expects us to be in the marketplace everywhere because how are you ever going to change it if you're not there? They sat at the gate to discuss it. Now we've got school board meetings and political meetings and we've got all these things that we, the ones that have the knowledge of God, the ones who serve him, the ones who are filled with the Holy Ghost that can pick up things, come on, and know things. I mean, you've got, you've got to be able to pick up in people. Come on. It may not be the person you want, the person you think, but God said, that's the man I want. That's the woman I want. That's who I want to run. That's who I want in that office. And you've got to pick it up and know it. And we'll talk about it tomorrow night. That though everybody that gets elected is not who God chooses. Because how many times in the Bible did they choose kings? And God said, that's not who I wanted. I mean, first of all, God didn't even want him to have a king. But he said, when the godly are in office, my people flourish. When not, they don't. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah.